0: Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Pony Stampede Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Billy Embody. We've got a few things to get to that have happened in the last week on SMU's recruiting class. I picked up three commitments since we last recorded the podcast. And we're going to run through them. Also, kind of update what's next on the recruiting front for SMU as they now have a top twenty-five class on twenty-four-seven sports and have hit double-digit commitments. And I'll also share kind of. What I feel like are uh, uh, how this class could work out in terms of numbers, in terms of uh, the total class size. And then on the other side of our break, we'll do some Q&A with our Pony Stampede subscribers. And hopefully we'll get some of your guys' questions answered and uh, be able to kind of send you guys into the weekend with a good listen. And uh, killing again uh, another 20-30 20-30 minutes or so of uh, quarantine as things do start to open up, but uh, nevertheless, uh, people certainly looking for plenty of uh, things to take their minds off of the fact that we still have no sports, uh, but they are kind of trending towards uh, returning. Major League Baseball starting to look at the potential to return, the NHL, the NBA, things like that, so maybe we'll get some more of that outside of golf, uh, which is expected to return in June as well. So, without further ado, we're going to jump in, and, and look, the big one of the weekend started almost a week ago, and that was with Dylan Goffney committing on Saturday. The Cypress, Texas, Bridgeland wideout is one of the top overall recruits uh, to ever be committed to SMU in the 24-7 sports era. Uh, He's in the top 10 of all-time SMU commits, so this is a huge land for SMU. Goffney took unofficial visits to Arizona, Houston, Cal, uh, really got around in the spring where a lot of guys didn't end up getting to do that. So he was very well versed in terms of what he had in front of him as far as a recruiting standpoint. He also visited SMU on a really a private, unofficial visit just before uh, the first dead period hit in February after National Signing Day. He got on campus the weekend before the big Super Bowl party that SMU had. So, look, Goffney. For SMU to get him on board and beat out the programs that they did, I mean, kudos to him because he's productive. He's a a top 75 overall receiver in the country on the 24-7 Sports Composite, number 60 overall prospect in Texas. He's actually just outside of the top 400 overall prospects nationally. And before he committed to SMU, he was still picking up big offers. Georgia Tech offered, Utah, Indiana, all really... Uh, During the dead period, uh, he picked up those Power 5 offers as well as plenty of other offers from a lot of SMU's AAC uh, conference foes like ECU, Tulane, Memphis, uh, schools like that. So they get Dylan Goffney on board. Again, a really talented prospect that uh, had nearly a 1,000 yards in back-to-back seasons but did top the double-digit touchdown mark in both his sophomore and junior year so. Uh SMU's really excited about this one I I can tell you and uh, he's uh, just another wide receiver to get on board joining Joseph Manchak at that point um, before Sunday rolled around and SMU picked up Dallas Madison wide out Jalen Record and uh, he's somebody that when we talked to him ahead of his decision he said straight up I mean it was a dream school for him he took a, a campus tour as a as a child in in second grade and fell in love with SMU from there and uh, I thought it was funny before I recorded this pod. It was really timely. The Madison football account tweeted out the, the players that have come through SMU's program from Madison. And and you look at SMU signing Danny Gray out of Blinn last year who played at Madison, was one of the best track guys in, in the state of Texas at Madison before going on to Blinn. He signed in the 2020 class. Him and Jaylene are uh, very, very close. And I think that played a big part in getting uh, him on board, Jesse Montgomery, who played, uh, for SMU, uh, recently also from Madison, didn't end up having a, 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 much of a career, but, um, you know, he was somebody that, that SMU signed and then Sean Bray McNeil throwing it back, uh, to, uh, to Sean Bray, one of, uh, really the, the early successful running backs, uh, for SMU under, under June Jones and, and, and Phil Bennett. Um, so Sean Bray was, was really a, uh, you know, a, a guy who kind of changed uh, the program from that perspective preceded Zach Line in the backfield. Um, but um, you know that that Madison pipeline has kind of been good to SMU, and and I was talking with Sonny Dykes, and we we can't talk about specific recruits, but I do think this is relevant to Jaylene, and he said, you know, when it comes down to it, you can have a great track time, you can do this, you can do that, but there's a lot of great athletes that don't end up being great football players, and you look at Jalen's production, I think he's kind of like the poster child for what Sonny's talking about. Over 1,200 yards rushing, really versatile, productive player overall. And, and while he doesn't have very good track times at all, uh, he is a very, very smart young man. Dartmouth and Georgetown offers, um, like I said, over over 1,600 really all-purpose yards over 1,100 yards on the ground, but he's kind of one of those versatile pieces for SMU that they could use in the return game or, you know, all over the place on offense. Um, so he's a good pickup for SMU, somebody who, you know, had offers and things like that to play elsewhere at the FCS level, or excuse me, FBS level. But um, just overall, I mean, just a great young man really, really, really thought his commitment video was, was tremendous as well. And then right before Record committed, Mineola, uh, Texas, inside linebacker Travion Sneed decided to go public with his commitment. He opted to uh, pick SMU over Colorado State, Kansas, uh, and plenty of others. And this is somebody that SMU was, was way, way, way uh, you know in on early. I mean, SMU is one of his first uh, offers. I think they might have been his first offer, if I remember correctly. And uh, yeah, they were first to offer way before anybody else, all the way back December 13th, 2018. And they had him at camp last summer um, where, look, I mean, in terms of physically imposing guys, I mean, Travion Sneed is just that. He's he's a thick inside linebacker, a true inside linebacker, and SMU is thrilled to get him on board, especially after missing on Jackson Bailey. I mean, I think both of those guys are right up at the top of their boards in terms of players they wanted to bring on board. And Sneed was finally ready to go ahead and make his decision, so uh, they got Travion Sneed on board as a much-needed defensive addition in the class, uh, and that was kind of the run on, on commitments for SMU uh, to, in the last week, and it was a good one. So I think now you look at the class with double-digit commitments now, and where can things go? And, and if you haven't checked out our story with Sonny Dykes on Pony Stampede, he talked about how SMU really wants to hold about four to five scholarships for transfer players later on uh, in January. So you look at them having 10 guys committed right now, and I think for the most part, all of them are pretty firm in their commitments. I think that's one thing we've seen with SMU under Sonny Dykes, especially in the last two cycles. Uh, we'll see if it holds true in this one, but everyone seems pretty firm in their commitments. So uh, 10 commits on board, for all from the high school ranks. I think they can sign 17 to 18 high school players and end up taking those four to five transfers that Sonny Dykes is talking about. I think they will obviously hold out for, for elite players like Kamar Wheaton, Savion Bird, um, and then try to address the receiver position with maybe one to two more players. Uh, and, and I think that can include a tight end, depending on if they get somebody they like at that position. Then you look at offensive line. They haven't gotten an offensive line commitment just yet. They probably want to take two to three in that regard. I mean, you've got guys like Remington Strickland and Ezra uh out there. I really butchered uh, his name, but he's teammates with Kamar Wheaton at uh, Garland Lakeview Centennial. He's one of the the best uh, really interior linemen in Texas. And then you've got a host of uh, other guys like Jack Layer. Um, Matthew Wyckoff, who they'd love to get, uh, Jacoby Jackson, Joseph Amos. Uh, there's, there's a lot of players out there that they're in on, that they're recruiting on the interior, uh, that they'd love to have. And then with Savion kind of being that, that key centerpiece at offensive tackle. So, um, you know, they, they really can be selective after the offensive line class they signed in 2020. And then on the defensive side, I think they want two defensive linemen, guys stand out to me like Stone Ebby and Braylon Jackson, and then maybe seeing if they can address defensive end with a transfer, I think. I think they want to add another true linebacker, potentially. Uh, they'll have to kind of watch it in terms of who they pick up in the transfer market and things like that. And then they want two corners. I think one high school, one, one junior college, or one transfer, however they get that is how that'll go. And then you've got two safeties committed. And to be honest, I think they're probably done at that position. It'll be interesting to see, you know, they might have another one out there that they view as like a best available type take. Somebody that comes to mind is Caleb Ellis, but we'll kind of see how that plays out. You know, I think, I think having two safeties committed, it also affects how maybe Caleb views SMU and I'll try to catch up with him and see what the latest is. But you know, they've already got two safeties committed and they have three young ones on the roster as well. So, um, out of the 2019 class just alone. So safety is kind of a position that's stacking up right now. And I think it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. But with that guys, I think we're going to take a quick break from the Pony Stampede podcast and come back on the other side of the break and answer your Q and A's, um, just after the short break from the Pony Stampede podcast. Welcome back to the Pony Stampede Podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. A quick reminder to leave us a rating, leave us a review, and you can always tweet at SMU247 on Twitter if you have any questions or leave us a question or a topic you want covered in the podcast on our review page. And a quick thank you goes out to everybody that have that has subscribed to Pony Stampede in really the last week. I mean, we've just seen a big run of people subscribing, wanting this recruiting news that we've been dishing out. We now have an interview series with Sonny Dykes coming up. So there's a ton to you know read on Pony Stampede, and I encourage you guys to check that out. You can do it monthly, you can do it annually. doesn't really matter. Either way, we've seen a huge run of subscriptions, which honestly... Is, is surprising to me during this time. I mean, a lot of people are trying to, you know, keep an eye on what they're spending with, with how everything's going in the coronavirus. But look, really appreciative of everybody jumping on board the site. And I can tell you, I mean, I'm biased, but a lot of people are saying it's worth it. So check us out, consider us for a subscription if you're just a podcast listener right now. All right, a lot of questions rolled in from the, our Pony Stampede subscribers that I'm gonna get to right now. And I wanna start with, kind of some of the team things uh, that people have asked. And, and one of those things is Richard Moore's health uh, and how the guys are working out and, and Kaz Kazadi and how he's working with the program. And look, Richard Moore is one, I, I think a very key piece if he's able to come back. I would think he's going to be able to come back from what I've heard, but he's going to have to be healthy. But here's something that I think stands out to me is this time off and time away from football from grinding on the practice field or what have you and for an older guy like Richard Moore who's going to be entering a a sixth season of college football that's huge I think the time off he had the big injury the torn ACL this will be critical to maybe giving him some time off from the real pressure of practicing during spring ball or what have you and hopefully that helps him get healthy for the 2020 season because he is a key cog in that defense and Look, Richard McBride filled in, I think, very, very well over the course of the season after they lost Richard Moore. But still, Richard Moore, big difference maker, and he's going to uh, make a difference if he's able to return. As far as how the guys are working out, Sonny Dykes told me, and we'll have a story on this on the site, hopefully on Friday, if I can get done with the about 45 minutes worth of transcribing I have to do from Sonny's interview. They've been working out in three groups. There's guys that have full access to gym, have places to go and run, and they can just get after it. And so those guys are kind of being treated like they're in the weight room every day with SMU. And then the other guys that kind of have maybe a few dumbbells or a weight vest, maybe a field only to run in or what have you, those guys are kind of been given a limited workout, which is probably intense, like no doubt, uh, the, the way Kaz runs his weight room. But they have to obviously be a little bit, um, you know, they have to be flexible. And I think everybody has to be flexible during this time. And uh, every college is dealing with that. There's very few colleges that have all 85 scholarship players with access to a full gym uh, and, and the ability to, to get in that work like you normally would in a college program. So they're doing that. And then they've got guys that have nothing. And I don't know who those players are, but... Those guys are probably being put through honestly probably the hardest workouts because, as somebody that does high intensity training with not a lot of weights involved, those are honestly the worst workouts. <laughs> they're really really hard. They really get your blood uh, pressure and your and your uh, you know your calories burning and and your heart rate up. And they're very difficult to self motivate because anyone could say, all right, you got ten reps, or you got to go for thirty seconds on that bench press, or you've got to do. You know, twenty-five curls or whatever, but when you're talking about not having a single you know piece of weight uh, in front of you, that's difficult. That to move your body, whether it be sprints, whether it be up downs, whether it be uh, jump squats, push ups, weighted push up. I mean, just and you're gonna have to get creative too. I mean, I've seen guys you know picking up water jugs or or whatever. That's what SMU is dealing with. That's what so many colleges are dealing with, and so they've had to be flexible. Um, but I mean, it's, it's anything you can imagine, uh, these guys are trying to do to stay in shape. They're doing, I think the big key is, is they've really stressed actual conditioning. So the running, trying to keep guys weights down, uh, and stay in shape so that they don't, you know, fold, I think in that sense, uh, when they do get them back. And then, um, as far as, uh, as far as SMU's season and kind of how this thing's going to go, I have no idea how this could look, depending on which states are open, depending on which you know universities are playing football, in terms of what the stadiums look like. I really don't know um, because this is unprecedented, guys. So when I get asked about what will the season look like, honestly, I think they're going to have one. I think it's going to be a full season. Beyond that, I don't have any idea. I do think it starts on time. Just from looking at the SEC, they're looking at a mid-June, early June, kind of reporting back to campus. Uh, You look at SMU, I would think the guys are back on campus for July, working out with the team. Um, And I think that's kind of going to be the norm for most colleges. I really do. I just think it's it's mid-May right now. If most states and most colleges can have a decision by mid-June, I think most of them are going to be back on campus for some workouts, and that's just how it's going to be. What school looks like, what the rest of the campuses look like, that's another thing. But I think for the most part, even if the classes are online in the fall for for some universities, college players are still going to be able to be in one place, working out together, getting ready for their season, whether they play in front of fans or not. So that's just my opinion. I don't really know. Um, And any info I'd give you is probably dated, or probably uh, you know could change tomorrow too. So um, I think there's going to be a season. I think it's going to be fine. I think SMU is going to play its full slate of games. That's just my opinion. Now. For SMU's current players, what does that mean? One player I was asked about is Kylan Granson. Could he end up getting drafted? And how do I think he'll test? I think he'll test very well, first of all. This is somebody that before he packed on about 35 extra pounds was clocked in the 4'4 range by SMU. I mean, he's a former wide receiver at Rice. That's kind of the new age tight end. I don't think he's going to be... I think he's listed at 6'3". Personally, I think he's more like 6'2 when it comes to the combine. But he, he kind of reminds me... And he kind of had a similar season in terms of productivity and coming out of nowhere as Thad Moss at LSU, who went undrafted. And the only reason why he went undrafted is because he had surgery on his foot uh, that prevented him from doing anything at the Combine. He obviously had to recover from it, and he's had multiple foot surgeries now. So he went undrafted, but he had a a big signing bonus. He was really coveted on the undrafted free agent market. I think Kylan could end up being a fifth-round pick. I really do if he comes back and has another productive season like he did. Uh, I think he led the country in touchdowns and yards per catch as a tight end could have that wrong, but he was right up there, up there at the top, especially after Reggie Robertson went down uh, with his production. So I think he gets drafted. Um, he's he's really really good, first of all. I mean, just he's he's the mold that you look for in the new tight ends. And he doesn't have too much wear. He he really only has last year uh, on his body. He wasn't very he wasn't used very well at, at Rice. He was also very young during that time, and then he redshirted, and then he broke out. So uh, I think Kylan's got a chance to really really emerge with a strong senior year, building off of that, and going back to SMU's tight end recruiting. I think it's a position with a lot of uncertainty. I, I do think this transfer is the way to go at this position because if you miss on a tight end, and we've, we've seen this with guys like Corey Rao um, you know, and just how long they hang around. If you miss on a tight end, it hurts you more than anything because you then have that player on your roster doing nothing for four years for four or five years. And with SMU, they can go out and get so many transfers that are big, strong, ready to roll. I mean, look at, you know, Kedrick James, I mean, that's a tight end room that when he got to campus, it had Kylan Granson that they thought was going to be great. It had a senior uh, in Ryan Becker, and he played a ton. Ben Redding is somebody they're really high on. You look at that group, and then you add in some of the other guys that they had there from a depth pers- uh, perspective like Tommy McIntyre, players like that, it's a crowded room. But they still got Kedrick James. And regardless of if he wanted to go, go close to home, still – You can get tight ends off the transfer market in a big way. And I think that's what, if they miss on some of their other tight end targets, they'll address with a transfer. That's just my opinion. I think it's the way to go. um, And it's a position that you minimize a lot of risk by doing it that way. Now, um, some of the stretch prospects that SMU is going after. Here's kind of my group right now that is a stretch. And I don't consider Kamar Wheaton and Savion Bird, Bird stretches. Those guys have shown interest. They've visited multiple times. Uh, they have a lot of connections as the staff. They're in it for those guys. Do they land both? We'll see. I think they land Savion, Savion at the very least. Stretch players right now include Deuce Harmon, four-star corner, who's you know trended to Texas A&M. I think the recruitment's generally a little bit op- more open than that. Um, he could end up you know, going somewhere like a Texas, like a Mississippi State, a few other places. I think right now uh, another stretch prospect that's really garnering a lot of attention is Keetron Jackson, the Royce City wide receiver. He's top 150 overall prospect in the country. He told me that SMU is going to probably be a school that he has to get to after, his, um, after, his, uh, yeah, after the dead period is over. And he's someone that has some ties to the program with Rashad Samples. I mean, Rashad Samples uh, is, is very well-known in South Dallas. Keytron played for Lancaster the first two years of his high school career. So he knows, really, Rashad Samples. He knows Preston Stone from playing with him early in his 7-on-7 career. Those are a couple guys uh, that, that stand out to me. Another one is Byron Murphy, the DeSoto defensive tackle. He's somebody that has some big-time offers, could they end up getting him somehow? I think so. Um, that's somebody that really, really would solidify that defensive front. If you talk about him, Stone Abbey and Braylon Jackson joining up for SMU, that would be pretty outstanding. Another stretch one. And I mentioned him is Ezra Oyatede uh, out of Lakeview Centennial really has some, some, some high end offers, uh, just doesn't, again, kind of a quiet recruitment. Doesn't necessarily seem like there's a lot going on there with SMU. And then Jack Lair, believe it or not, the Highland Park offensive tackle, he's an SMU legacy. But word is, from what I've heard, is that he might want to get out of town and maybe go a little bit more national. Somewhere like a Northwestern or a Stanford or a place like that. So they're having to do a lot of work to try and get him on board. Um, but look, I mean, he's, he's somebody that they'd love to get as well. Finally, I'll point to another corner, and that's Jalen Williams out of South Grand Prairie, one of the big risers from this spring. He's a top 40 overall corner in the country. We really like him at 24-7. He's got a 10.5 to 100 meter, uh, which would make him probably the fastest guy on SMU's team, to be honest, uh, right there with Reggie Robertson uh, and Ulysses Bentley. I mean, and I'm not kidding. I mean, that's elite. Right there. To put it into perspective, Danny Gray, when he was uh, in high school, ran a 10, 10 uh, 5 9, 100 meters. So right there, 10 5 2, 10 5 9, uh, you know, And that's a 10 5, 2 as a junior in high school um, for, for Jalen uh, Williams. So really impressive there. Finally, one other prospect, Jaden Williams, uh, out of South Oak Cliff, the linebacker that just committed to Arizona State. Really, really impressive player, though I could see him flipping somewhere down the line. So I would keep an eye on him. He had SMU in his top three before opting to go ahead and commit to Arizona State. Finally, uh, look, SMU has those 10 commitments. What do they have to do to keep them committed? That's what I was asked about. It's really just recruiting them like they're uncommitted and staying in contact and staying, you know, up to date with everything that they're doing. And if there are visits eventually, what do those guys, um, what are they doing? Are they considering taking visits? Are they, uh, you know, still talking to other colleges? How does that look? And just communicating and being open with those guys and honestly, just being their self. They're committed for a reason. The staff just has to keep doing what they're doing with those guys, keep getting them to campus, letting them know the door is open whenever they want and also setting expectations too. If you're Joseph Manjak, if you're uh, Jalen Record to an extent, um, and if you're um, if you're Dylan Goffney, you've got to set the expectation. Hey, we might take another one or two receivers. You know, they got TQ Jackson. I'm sure they told those guys ahead of time that TQ Jackson was coming on board, and and he's somebody that they expect to contribute and play at a high level. So. Just really setting the expectations, being honest, and and making them feel at home. That's what it takes to get them committed, and that's what it takes to keep them committed. Uh, Finally, two kind of, you know, fun questions more than anything. And that's, uh, would you say SMU is the most interesting group of five to cover right now? Or is similar-ish stuff going on at others? I think between Boise State being kind of a perennial successful team, I think Memphis, with the basketball team, Penny Hardaway, with the football team, you know, having so much success, going to the Cotton Bowl last year, UCF has been UCF for a while, Cincinnati is, is really kind of on the verge of being, you know, I think that team that can get back to a group of five, uh, you know, be the playoff team uh, for the group of five. I mean, they've had success at a high level. Right now, in terms of most interesting, I would, I would think it's SMU especially on the football side, just kind of where they're going, where they're headed. But there's still that national buzz around Memphis. There's still that national buzz around Cincinnati and Luke Fickle, especially with the way he was pursued in the offseason by a couple coaching uh, opportunities. So I I think SMU is right there, but there are other programs that are just, you know, at that level of of intense intrigue and intense uh, success uh, on the football field. Finally, where does boulevarding rank with other tailgating experiences? Well, good question. I think it's right there at the top. I mean, like part of that is when you're in college, that, that gives you a totally different perspective on it instead of kind of going around and seeing other tailgating experiences as you work or in the very rare instances where I've been able to you know, be a fan since getting out of college. So I'll give the boulevard the nod right now. But there's also very different tailgating experiences other th- that are elsewhere that are right up there at the top. I mean, I think, I think Alabama's there. I think their quad's good. I think having all the fraternity houses and everything like that and having the strip right there in Tuscaloosa is pretty strong uh, from a game-day atmosphere. I think Baton Rouge, I mean, when you talk about the food, I think, the, I think LSU kind of blows everybody else out of the water uh I mean between gumbo, jambalaya, anything on the grill that anyone's cooking up, I mean that is elite, elite, elite. There's obviously the the passion of those fan bases are on another level. Um in my opinion, just with all they pour into the tailgates, um I mean you look at the RVs rolling in town at, you know, Wednesday if it's a huge game, Thursday if it's an SEC game. Uh it it's uh it's on another level. So I think Texas A and is rough. It's really kind of just a dirt field, um, but they're very welcoming. I think um, Oklahoma very similar to that, kind of just spread out, but everyone's pretty pretty nice up there. Good tailgating. Um, they're kind of similar to that, you know, that passion level. I'm trying to think where else TCU was, you know, fine. Uh, it's more of a parking lot, which makes it pretty unbearable when it comes to you know the heat in September. Uh, at least from where I tailgated uh, at times, going to TCU games, and that's kind of it. I went to Florida when I was real young. Uh, that was that was you know fine. And other than that, I've got I still got a lot of schools I've got to get to on on my list. I've got to get to Auburn, Ole Miss, uh, Georgia. Those are a few that I really want to get to and check out. Clemson. Down the line, LSU plays there, I think, in, like, 2026 or something like that. Uh, so I've got that one circled for sure. But other than that, uh, I think SMU still takes a cake in terms of, like, quality and, you know, just being kind of high-end and things like that. But, I mean, food, you know, i got to give it to LSU. I mean, they got they got that down pat. So, um, But with that, guys, I think we've rambled on long enough. Hope everybody has a great weekend. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Pony Stampede Podcast, and uh, have a great weekend, everyone.